0: Hello and welcome to the Sunday Afternoon Podcast with Greg Reese. I am your host. It is January 8th, 2023 on a, uh, on a cool, easy Sunday. Already afternoon. <sighs> Okie dokie dokie. I think we're sending this one out to, uh, to the whole cast and crew, whatever that means. And we're going to go over comments first, I guess. And then I'm going to get into uh, the title of the show, which is, what am I calling it again? Me and My Shadow. And this is based on, uh, I did skim some comments. I didn't look at, I'm actually looking at them for the first time right now, but there's not a whole bunch. And um, I I saw one, I think, uh Last week after the podcast and I was like, oh, I should do a show on that next week. So it'll be easy for me because it's basically my, my book. So anyways, uh, hope you guys are all doing well. Hope you're doing great. Um, For whatever reason, I still feel pretty optimistic about things. Uh, Things are not as bad as they seem, I don't think although they're pretty dismal. Um, Last video I did um, on the J6 political prisoners. Uh, Thanks to the good work of Alicia Powell, got some inside story on what these guys are going through. Joe Biggs has been in solitary confinement for 11 months with a concrete bed. He's not the only one. He's there, of course, because they have to sell this false narrative that he's a a big baddie. So that's why they got to treat him like that. But uh, he just got a tab or a tablet, whatever they're called, and he can now watch movies and receive messages. And there is an article coming out in the next few days on the Gateway Pundit that Alicia Powell is writing about... um, to do that. Not just with Joe Biggs, but with all these guys. So look for that. I might do a quick video on it as well to help people reach out and get in touch. I think the more people that start focusing on what's happening there, the better. I feel bad that uh, I haven't been focusing on it full time, you know, but it's like all this crazy stuff's going on. And, and what I realized this weekend is that, um, I guess there's a part of me that has a hard time dealing with it. So I put up a a wall to it. You know, every time I hear about these guys, I feel sick to my stomach. (laughs) I mean, not only did they do nothing wrong, they were the ones that did something right. You know, and if everyone would have stood up and proudly and done the right thing, then um, and forget about proudly, if everyone would have just done the right thing and stood up for what's right, then we wouldn't be in this dang mess. But because uh, by and large, most people are skittish and afraid. The the very best of us, the, the courageous ones, are in jail or worse. So, anyways, that's a total bummer. Total, uh, total bummer. But it's like I said, I think it's important to uh, to put our thoughts there because then hopefully we can put our prayers there. And I absolutely believe in the power of of prayer. That's about the best thing we have right now. I, um, I'm i giving up Twitter. Well, I'm not giving it up. I'm going to keep posting my videos there. That's all I'm going to do. What I'm giving up is looking at the notifications. I was reinstated on Twitter. I don't know if that happened in the past week or, or before. I don't know if I mentioned it last week or whatever. But anyways, I'm back on Twitter, and it's a nightmare. Twitter sucks. It's one of the ugliest places in the world. And... Um, I got sucked into it and uh, I was doing, I've been doing like back and forths with people (laughs) or commenting on people's comments or whatever, you know, or like people commenting on people saying things to me. I've been responding back and stuff and it's just, it's garbage. So nothing good there except um, a bunch of idiots. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying there's a lot of good people there too. I'm not talking about them. The the garbage is the idiots and it's like, (laughs) anyways, we're not going to talk about that. Uh, Because the world is full of dummies, and the dummies need our help, to be honest. So I'm not going to hate on them. They're just dumb. There's nothing wrong with them. I love them anyways. So anyways, I won't be... I can do cold turkey. I'm good at cold turkey. So there will be no more peeps, or as they say, tweets. Or there will be tweets from you. There will be tweets of my movies as usual. It'll be very strict and by the book. Promotion only. No more opinions. All right. I think that's all the uh, the blah, blah, blah for my part. <clears throat> all done in five, six minutes. Awesome. All right. Let's go over some comments. We've only done this like once before, but uh... all right. David says, Greg, in the quest for enlightenment, you are the de facto leader. There's so much to unpack in this podcast. You have to listen to it several times to get complete comprehension. Much of what I had considered myself is what you codify here in a concrete way. One example is the nature of narcissism. I had personally drawn analogies between narcissism and demonic behavior, but you take it across the finish line by defining it as Satanism. Another takeaway is the courage Dividing line between true paradigm shift and retrograde spiritual lost. Another mental revolution is the definition of Satanism as the rule of ego. Just that last item alone simplifies the classification of all celebrities and it provides a deep understanding of your recent comments with Alicia Powell regarding them. You consistently and constantly pull back the curtain to reveal true understanding. Thank you for being there for for us all. Thank you, David, for those kind words. Um, a lot of that stuff I was talking about yesterday, uh, I was using a lot of the, the descriptors and language from Mark Passio, who I uh, am really enjoying his work. He it does a really good job um, codifying it, as you say. The I have talked quite a bit in the past on my own about ego and Satanism. Um, <clears throat> we'll get more into that when I get after the comments and we get into the shadow stuff because... Um, you know, for for me, ever since before I even heard the word ego, I would hear stories about Satan as a kid, and recognize that they were describing this thing inside of me, this temptor, this um, part of me that that uh, was a bit trouble. You know, that would that could get me into trouble if I let go to it. <laughs> And um, then as I got older, I just naturally, once I started l- hearing the term ego and learning about these things, I just sort of naturally put two and two together. But thank you, David. We're going to get deep into that today. I think it actually may have been your comment that I mentioned that kind of inspired it. But I haven't gone much deeper than that. Fair Poet 81 says, happy 2023 Reese family. Blessings to everyone. Thank you for your hard work, Mr. Reese. Your positivity is infectious and shared. Keep exercising courage. Sounds like a plan. Thank you. And happy new year. And blessings to everyone as well from me. Christina Kay says you are spiritually connected indeed. Well, thank you. I've worked on it for years. And um, I encourage everyone to do the same. I really do. And I, uh I, I'm going to try to make this the last time I say this, but that's what we're going to be talking about today. <laughs> Kelzilla says, Damn, only you can get me spilling this late. I sat after getting home from the New Year shed apocalypse. The first 10 minutes got me all riled up until I finished the whole monologue. Ha, 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 all is good. We are all on the same page. I needed to take a step back from all the crazy, at least for a week. <clears throat> Sovereignty has been on my mind all week. When you take a step back, look at the 10,000-foot view. It's plain to see. It's a crisis of ideas. We are led by managers. They are not thinkers. They are not entrepreneur innovators. They just manage. Nothing will come out of these people. It's barren. The whole concept of oligarchy come from the ancient Greeks, for fuck's sake. Everything has been laid in Plato's Republic. 4,000 years later, we can't come up with new ideas, It's the failure of the learned mans. What good is an expert if his heart is rotten? What good is an oligarch if it's pride, hubris, and envy governing his life? What good is a cast of warrior kings if they turn the stick against the people? So Socrates, Xenophon, and Plato ran all the variables. That's it. Pick your poison. If you can, um, you know what? Calzilla, yeah. Once again, this is a this comment leads right into today's thing. I couldn't agree more. We got smart people here in the old uh, Substack Reese Report podcast, if you ask me. No dummies here. If you can solve my army dilemma, I'll go along with anarchy. Collectivism has turned to do gooders, has turned do-gooders and sheep into covidians out for blood in the name of the greater good. Humanity, God's greatest work, an experiment of morals and behavior free will and freedom of thought what a gift i'm gonna give your guy a try before jumping the gun and give you an earful you're on the level greg not like you're trying to deceive or seduce out of respect it's the least i can do the shed apocalypse is real i feel like dog shit well i hope you're feeling better kalzilla i gotta write that down what'd you say there anarchy yeah we'll get into that once i start talking Shed-pocalypse. Um, you're not reading it. I am. So maybe you're not sure what I'm saying. But he's talking about shedding. You know, vaccine shedding. shed apocalypse. I haven't heard that yet. I don't know if that's real. I hope it's not. I also hope... I wonder lately if you're going to get spike proteins from eating food. You know? I would love to know the answer to that question. I try not to think... I really... to To not worry is a big important thing to me. I said I wasn't going to say it again, but we're going to get into that today. But um, yeah, I'll be honest. I I, I think about that. And I want to know. It'd be great if we could uh, just put an end to all these people that are potentially putting it in the food so that we don't have to worry about it. Wouldn't that be great? I think so. Sherry replied to the shed apocalypse comment, Kel, I've been sick off and on with flu-like symptoms for the last two weeks or so, and as soon as I start to feel better, it comes back with a vengeance. Not sure what's going on, but I live with my dad and he's triple-vaxxed, so, ma- so it kind of makes me wonder if he's shedding all over the place and it's making me sick. It's so bizarre to even think like that, but it's a sign of the times, I guess. I also got a new cell phone for Christmas that's 5G, whereas my old phone wasn't 5G capable, so maybe that's it. I had COVID in April 2021, and it was all upper respiratory, but this isn't like that. This is more just a general feeling of being unwell. Extreme fatigue, gastrointestinal funk, bad headaches, and a lot of congestion. I hate going to the doctor, and I only go when I absolutely have to. And I know they'll try to stick a swab up my nose if I go now, and that ain't happening. I suppose it could also be all of the chemicals we ingest on a daily basis via air, water, and food. We the people truly are being assaulted from every angle. Anyway, I hope you feel better soon, and Happy New Year to you and all of our other fellow (sighs) Reesians. Yeah, I mean, yeah, isn't it what would she say here? It's so bizarre to even think like that. Yeah, isn't that bizarre? I think, isn't it bizarre to think that you, you go to a nice restaurant, and you order some food, and you're like, am I, what am I, what am I ingesting now? You know? But on a positive note, because we want to keep it real here, she goes on and she says, maybe it could just be all the toxins in the world. And that tells me that it's possible that maybe you're just under the weather and that happens regularly. That happens all the time, especially when there's stressful times, you know, stress is one of the main things that makes you sick. And I mean, if, if you're not stressed lately, or if you're not suffering with some stress lately, then I don't know what to tell you. So I just hope it's that. I hope you're feeling better too, Sherry. Steve stars, uh, replies, I don't know if this will help, but if you haven't tried it, quercetin with bromelain and or vitamin C. This really helped me. Dr. Zelenko recommended it as a natural form of HCQ made from cantaloupe. I had a bad chest cold and ignored the experts and didn't take the toxic jab, but this hit about the time the COVID scare was raging. I got some quercetin and took two caps before bedtime Next morning, I was coughing up gummy junk, but it was stuff that was clearing out of my lungs. I was better in no time and feeling well. I still use it when I feel any chest infection coming on. I might even... um, I think I'm going to do that. I do vitamin C every day, quite a bit of it. I think I mega dose. Some might argue I don't, but... um, once again, if you want to find this info, it is in the comments under Steve St- Steve Starr's January 5th comment on the Government is Slavery and Happy New Year podcast. But he's saying cursetin Kers- with a Q, Q-U-E-R-C-E-T-I-N with bromelain, B-R-O-M-E-L-A-I-N, and or vitamin C. I would go with the and. Um. And I didn't, I even heard this. Dr. Zelenko has got some good information and um, may he rest in peace. And um, the fact that it's a natural form of hydrochloroquine makes me interested because I've heard a lot of smart doctors say that uh, that's something that would be good to take in general, like even if you're not sure. I think it's like an anti-parasite thing. That makes me want to take it too. All right, moving on. Justin Kane Elder says, Best year ever? I'm down. Happy New Year, and thank you as always for the tireless work. Welcome to the field of dreams. If we build it, they will come. Corny, I know. But that's me, another sucker raised on the sap, happy to know we're not the only ones who have decided to open our eyes. Boy, is it bright out. Merry, happy, Holly, festive, jingle, hoorah! Oh boy, excuse me, I'm burpy. Um, yeah, that's the spirit, man. That's the spirit. There is a there is a magical power that we have in our uh, emotions. So, I mean, that is kind of uh, you could argue that is a big part of the power of prayer is. We have to make that first step and surrender and surrender into love and joy. Uh, when I meditate, sometimes when I am in meditation and it's frustrating, uh, I just put a smile on my face. I just turn, I literally just turn the sides of my mouth up into a smile. And it actually causes some type of chemical reaction inside of you. And it's quite effective. I recommend it. Fair poet poet agrees, she responds, hallelujah. Allie, I don't know, uh, correct me if I'm saying your name Is it Ale or Allie? I don't know. I'm going to say Allie. Love, love, love David Hawkins and his map of consciousness. Such an incredible tool. Everyone here should read Power Versus Force, a powerful introductory text to to his all-ridden work. Nice synchronicity, mic drop, when you were telling us we can love our way out. Ding. Isn't that funny? My phone actually just dinged before, right when I started reading this. Yes. The courage to face our, cause she wrote ding in case you didn't get that. You, you're listening. You can't see. Yes. The courage to face our fears and walk through them or let our fears pass through ourselves. Facing our fears allows us to stop running from them pathologically and transcend them. Jung calls it integrating our shadow Very good work to do because it is so difficult and so rewarding. Merry Christmas. This is the comment that made me decide to do the show today. I remember now. I read this integrating our shadow and that's today. So thank you, Ale or Allie. Steve Starrs comments, Happy New Year 2023. I have met Mark and been acquainted with him since about 10 years ago. There are some things I could say and point out, but I think I want to hold back and read some other comments on here first. Let me just briefly say natural law is ingrained our time-space continuum, but we live in a broken natural universe. Thus, even nature is corrupted. There is a higher law above natural law that actually bends reality to its design. Every tiny atom and universal galaxy is subject to the designer's plan and power, which he demonstrates from time to time. In the meantime, he lets things play out for our learning. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with that, Steve. Um, that is an interesting thing. I, I wonder if you're going to add to that later on. We'll find out. Um, by the way, I sent Mark my video, and he replied back. Uh, I guess he's like to, he'd like to be on band.video. I certainly think he should be there, so I'm going to try to get him on Band and he invited me on his show for an interview he said some nice things about my video said he's been a fan of mine for years and he wants to interview me so i look forward to that i should be on his show sometime soon i mean i'll be honest his work really is kind of getting me pumped um and i think i think that'll come up today <laughs> i just can't stop saying that it's coming as soon as I'm done with this, <clears throat> you've been told. All right. D. Lovely Vox. Thanks so much, Greg. Maybe a married woman, but love you, Greg. <laughs> well, that's sweet of you. Say hello to your husband, too. Carol says, thank you. I remember now. Again, I meant ugh. Huh. I must have missed a earlier comment on that. No, nope. that was it. The uh, final comment there was a bit of a cliffhanger. But that's okay. Thanks, guys. I uh, hope you all are um, having a good Sunday. All right, so me and my shadow. And this was inspired by the integrating with your shadow work that... Um, Ale or Alley <laughs> was talking about Jung. <clears throat> and um, this is the work that um, I was suggesting in my summary of uh, Mark Pass- Passio's work on Satanism, de facto Satanism. And this is the work that brought me peace in my life all thanks and glory to god's grace so this is all in my book i never plug i never market myself it's something i i honestly kind of see as gross um i don't know why because it's probably a smart thing to do you know people do need to make a living and stuff like that but um i can you know i'm actually pretty happy i i've managed to uh You know, make a living without hustling that hard. (laughs) But anyways, if you do like to read, it is a book I'm proud of. It's called Sex, Drugs, and Om. Ohm is spelled O-M, and the other words are spelled as they are spelled. Sex, Drugs, and Om by Greg Reese. You can find it on Amazon, in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook. The audiobook I recorded uh, before the InfoWars gig probably back in 2017, on a cheap microphone, and it's, it's not up to par with my recent vocal work, but um, it's not bad. I'm still proud of it. I got some original music in there. Um, like I said, I'm proud of it. And today is basically going to be a summary of that, because all that book is is basically a story of how I um, integrated my shadow. I don't think I got any I, I don't really uh, have any friends. <laughs> so I'm not really hanging around with um, shedding people. I don't but I do, you know, I do get out in public sometimes, so who knows? I'm saying that because of the, the uh, coughing and burping here going on. Well, the burping is just for my coffee. Anyways. Anyways, so in the book, I save uh, oh, the, if, you, if, you, if you don't like spoiler alerts and you do want to read my book. Um, then you might want to turn this off and not listen to it. But I don't think it's a big deal. I don't think I'm really giving anything away. All I'm giving away is is uh, in the book, I sort of, uh, I write it, um, I guess, I don't know what the word is for for, for uh literary effect. I allude to a, a mysterious event that happened in my childhood, and then I go on from there, and it's not until about halfway, three-quarters of the book, or maybe even closer to the end of the book, where I realize, you know, that event is in childhood. So that's the only spoiler alert, not a big deal. You can still enjoy the story in the book, uh, even though I'm giving away that now. But <clears throat> what happened when I was about five years old, I was at the Jesuit house in Toronto uh, for my uncle's graduation as a Jesuit priest. I was up there with family. You know, aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents, parents, all that stuff. A bunch of us were up there. Um, Irish Catholic family. Uh, everyone all proud of the uncle. I, I could care less. I was five years old, um, and so I'll tell the story. The way I'll t- this is how I'm going to tell the story the way I sort of uh, experienced it. <clears throat> so. I always remembered photographs of this growing up, uh, photographs of, there was like a elephant I rode at some like thing, carnival, like in Toronto around the area. I remember seeing pictures of me on an elephant and I knew that was from there. But I had no memories of it. Um, and then my whole life, or starting off, or, okay, all right. See, that's why I wrote it special in the book. It's actually pretty good in the book, but all right. So, um, by the time I was in my 30s, after I had, like, my quote-unquote red pill moment, which was in, I was 34, um, between, it was like the summer, it was like 33, 34, uh, I had this red pill moment with the moon. I started... Waking up and being like, oh, my God, what's going on? All these, you know, I started seeing through the lies and the illusion, all that. You know what I'm talking about. That led to basically this epiphany that something happened to me. That something traumatic happened to me that is what caused my life um, to be a mess. Because... Growing up, uh, you know, I lost my virginity when I was 15 um, in, like, a group situation. You know, if you ever saw that movie Kids, it was very similar to that, but this was back in 85. Um, And before that, I was smoking pot. I, I dropped acid before then. You know, so by 13, 14, I was... I was smoking weed, doing acid and taking pills. I was just I was hanging out with older kids and I was eating whatever drugs they gave me. Uh you know, I ended up in AA, Alcoholics Anonymous when I was about 16, 15. All through high school I was in AA, which was actually extremely healthy for me cuz high school is a bit of a shit show. I went to a really big one and to go through it sober and with a, you know, a a spiritual group of people that were talking about God and talking about their feelings and talking about honest things is a rare thing, you know, for high school age people. So that was a blessing. After that though, I went to the Marine Corps and uh, started drinking again. I started doing lots of, uh, I don't know if any of you are, have been in the Marine Corps, but it's not like a drug free zone. Um, LSD was probably the most popular drug just because it didn't show up in drug tests. And we got drug tested all the time. They would test us. So, well, one time we got tested three days in a row because they were just trying to catch us. And they, you know, obviously they figured, okay, they're going to go out and party after they get tested. And, um, and it worked. They would catch people like that. And when they catch you doing drugs in the Marine Corps, they basically cycle you out. So it's interesting that they were doing It's like they were trying to get rid of us. I don't know. They were super anti-drug. Apparently, I was told by the gunny sergeant in my platoon that back when he was in the, um, everyone, it was, no one cared about drugs and it was everywhere. But anyways, so we did acid all the time in the Marine Corps. Tons of acid. Uh, got out of the Marine Corps and got into rock bands and just went wild sex, drugs, and rock and roll, ended up in a marriage with a girl who I should never have married, who ended up physically beating me. Um, And that uh, resulted in, you know, uh, it messed me up pretty good, as you can imagine. Um, After that, I instead of dealing with it in a healthy way, I literally found the, the most trouble I could find to get in. I consciously put myself in a worse situation to deal with it. <laughs> you know, that's how messed up I was. Um, the situation was, I wouldn't call it cocaine. It was some kind of, we called it shit is what we called it, but It was allegedly cocaine. It definitely wasn't. It was some kind of cooked up nightmare. And uh, it was like three months of of hell. Uh, My friend uh, who I was involved with doing this with, uh, he ended up flushing down, I think, about four ounces of it at least, which was like $4,000 worth of it. And when he did, it was just a relief. It was like, oh, my God, thank God that's over. And um, from there, I kind of started putting the pieces back together, which took years. And then that would have been in like, mm, so that would have been like I was, let me do the math here, 1999-ish. And then we get into the early 2000s, and then by 2004, I am uh, red-pilled, and then Here we are to where I was saying. Now, at this point, I'm starting to 33, 34. I am questioning everything externally, right? I'm finding conspiracy theories. I'm finding lies. I'm finding how the official story I'm being told is garbage. So I'm deep into questioning all that. And then, luckily, I have the intuition or instinct or whatever to start looking inside of me you know instead of just looking for mysteries outside of me I started looking inside of me and I was like well what happened to me you know why why am i why have i lived the life that i lived because i'm not stupid and so by 34 years old i realized that not everyone in fact i don't really i didn't really know many people who lived You know, the horror show life that I lived. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm a God only gives people what they can handle. I had some definitely some suffering and some struggling, but I enjoy life. So even all through my hell, I definitely had moments of joy and, you know, spiritual connection. Thank God. That's what got me through it. Uh, But I hit, I had to hit bottom. I'm a stubborn one. And the bottom, the bottom was the, um, the cocaine. I actually stabbed the guy who, um, who I was a uh, story short. Basically what happened was right after I split up with my wife, I moved in with this friend and the first night in the house, I said, um, we, it was actually a cold winter night and we didn't have any firewood. So we chopped up some furniture and burned it in the fireplace. And as the, you know, this heavy lacquer wood was creating such a heat that we were concerned that maybe it was going to crack open the fireplace and burn the house down. I say, let's get into some trouble. And the next day uh, he comes home with about two pounds of this stuff and dumps it on my lap. And he's like, is this the kind of trouble you're talking about? It was like a scene out of a movie. Turned out this guy had a pile of checks from uh, working on the road that he hasn't cashed. And he was just trying to figure out something to do with him. And so once I said, let's get into some trouble, he figured out, oh, we'll do this. So, interesting situation. Anyways, um, you know, things got so bad that uh, I think near the peak of all that, it was after the cocaine ran out, actually, I um, stabbed a marshmallow skewer through his foot, through his boot, through the top of his boot, through his foot, all the way through the sole of his boot, into the dirt beneath him. And that didn't feel good. Uh, At the time, I was under the influence of, I think, LSD and ecstasy at the same time. And um, I immediately sobered up. He was very understanding. I ended up washing his foot in tequila and crying. <laughs> Pretty sad. That was my bottom. That was, uh, that was around, uh, it was actually uh, that era. Yeah, that was the bottom. That was the most notable part of the bottom. <clears throat> <sighs> Anyways, so all this drama, of course, makes you realize that you're not normal, Greg. There's something wrong with you. And uh, for a while, up until this point, I would just sort of brush it off as saying you're crazy. But that was not a good brush off. No one likes to be no one likes to think of themselves as Crazy. But now that I'm red-pilled and I'm starting to discover all these truths, and, uh, or at least discover the lies, I started looking at the lies in myself. And I was like, well, maybe I'm not crazy. Maybe there's actually a reason for this. So I started looking. And what did I find? Now, heres I guess this is where we get into the shadow. This is where I'm actually starting to look at the shadow, right? Like, just to be clear, up until this point, I'm finding evil outside of me. And now I have, thanks to God, I have the courage to look inside. I always had the curiosity. Now I have the courage to look inside and be like, what's going on? <clears throat> and um, so, and I, at this point I was already meditating, um, that was part of my red pill journey. Was I said, okay, oh, yeah, maybe there's something to meditation. So I started meditating. And as I've talked about many times in the past, let me be clear about meditation. I would argue it's this, it's a, it's another word for prayer. That's what I would argue. Because when I pray, it's not like I ask God for things. You know, please God, give me this, give me that, give me this, give me that. Oh, that's not prayer. Prayer to me is shutting up and surrendering. You know, that's what prayer is to me. If I say anything, it is let thy will be done, surrendering to God's will. If I ask for anything, it's usually, please, God, give me the strength to follow the will and follow the path that you lay before me. Please, God, let me see the path. Let me know what's right and what's wrong. And I do occasionally ask for things. But even when I do, and it's rare, it is always followed up with only if it's only if you see fit, God. Because I don't trust my ego anymore. I do not trust my inner Satan. I only trust God's will. And if, even if I want something, it's always left up with the caveat. I don't know if that's the right word. I think it is. With the caveat of if that is what you have intended for me. And actually, now that you say that, you probably already realize it's unnecessary then to even ask for anything, right? <laughs> if you're going to want only what God has in store for you, then you don't even have to worry about it. You just surrender. So really, that's what I think prayer is. That's what I think meditation is, is it's surrender to God. That's it. So that's something I learned to do. So in my meditations and surrender to God, um, when you do that, when you quiet the mind, occasionally you will get information. And I think this is important to mention too. This is um, in my experience, and I've actually heard this described in similar ways and so maybe this is a universal thing i don't know but for me i can tell the difference between two parts like like for example when you try to focus on quieting the mind it's yes over time you get better at it and you get you can even get good at it and you can actually even accomplish long lengths of No thing, you know, just no thought. Which is great. That's the goal. Shut up, right? The goal is to shut up the mind. But that's difficult. And usually the mind is messing with you and, and there are distractions and thoughts. But what I've experienced in my what I've learned in my experience is that the ego part of the mind fills your thoughts slowly. Like, I mean, this is, this is just a, you can't really describe this stuff. So I'm just doing my best to describe it. But when the mind puts a thought, I mean, when the ego puts a thought in my mind, it sort of slips it in slowly. You can see it kind of crawling in and forming into this thing. And then it becomes a thought. It has a flavor to it. And then there's another thing. And this other thing I've only experienced when you shut up. I would even argue it happens so fast and instantaneous that if you didn't shut up, you would never even hear it. Like you have to shut up in order to catch it. And that is, it happens almost like a flash. Like a single frame of film. But it's so potent that it burns an image into your brain. For example, I can still see these images today like they're cataloged single frames and they're like memes right um a single visual abstract always abstract but codified with information probably speci- specifically catered to me that would be my guess Uh, My guess is that these meme single-frame images I get of information are designed for me because only I would understand them. Uh, You know, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but... So, that's how I get information, reliable information. And this is also something, I'm not going to get into it here, but in the book I get into it, remote viewing, which is just a government term remote viewing. And the, and the actual government manuals that teach you how to remote view are completely different than the way I do it. But um, all I do, and I've done remote viewing, I practiced it and found success. And I would argue that you could do it too. And all I did was quiet my mind, focus on shutting up. Um, and I would, I would ask for an answer to a question. Usually when I, when I did it, I was experimenting, I would have a friend, I would tell a friend, pick an object, don't tell me what it is, and I'm going to try to guess what it is. <clears throat> and then in my meditation, I would simply say, I, I would do a mantra. And I've talked about this before. The point of a mantra is to focus on one thing only. It helps you quiet your mind. So my mantra would be, you know, please show me this thing. Thank you for showing me this thing. Please show me, thank you. So I would ask the question and I would follow it up with a thank you, a gratitude which is like an emotion of 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 thanks to god for for answering my question so that the feeling of want isn't there the all you have is the feeling of receiving and then i would cry i would just after repeating that mantra i would um focus on a blank screen and do my best to shut up and while i'm doing that you can see the mind slowly oozing false information. But then bang, you get this flash. And the flash has valid information. And like I said, it's it's an abstract flash, but it would make sense to me. And I would take my notes down, well, this is what I see, blah, 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 blah. And then I'd contact my friend and tell him what I think their object was. And in three out of three, I got it right. I'm not bragging. <laughs> um and i believed i wasn't i was surprised because it was amazing an experience but i wasn't that surprised because i went into it believing that anyone can do this you know and if you read about it that's basically what all the experts say too the experts say this is just something that people can do you know it's it's some they say it's your third eye you know <clears throat> it's not that big of a deal it's part of our body so anyways <clears throat> by doing this prayer and by asking, to, asking God what happened to me, you know, with the, with the desire to heal. Because up until this point, you know, I'm red-pilled, you know, I'm definitely doing better. I'm not like a complete maniac anymore. I'm not like completely lost with drugs and sex. But I'm still healing and I'm still lost. And why am I healing and I'm lost? Because I'm haunted by my past. I cannot stay present and focused because I am consumed with my past. Like, what's wrong with me? Why am I, you know, what's wrong with me? What happened to me? And so what came to me was a flash of information and the flash of information in this case was different than the abstract. It, well, it wasn't different. It was, it was the flash. It just wasn't that abstract. It was clear. And it was a memory of being at this Jesuit house. Remember the Jesuit house? Seems like that was an hour ago I was talking about that. Remember that? When I was five years old and my uncle was graduating as a Jesuit and we were at the Jesuit house, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> I probably shouldn't uh, guzzle coffee before these podcasts or I should call them the, the belching podcast anyways. So the image I got um, was me inside a room curled up in a window well, you know, like a, you know, uh, I don't know if that's what it's called, but you know, an inside, inside a room, inside a building, inside a... Uh, You know, I'm a little kid, so I'm like on this, I guess it's a window well, uh, with my forehead against the cool glass of the window, looking outside into the courtyard. And I was kind of curled up in a fetal position, and I was traumatized. And I knew where I was, too, for some reason. Immediately, I knew exactly what I was seeing. I, I knew I was seeing myself inside my uncle's room at the Jesuit house in the middle of the night, all alone, looking outside into the night and feeling afraid and traumatized. So I thought, well, that's interesting. I don't know what that's all about, but I knew it was The Flash, you know, it wasn't the creepy, slow ego mind giving me lies. It was the deeper part of me. I, I, in the book, I refer to this as my higher self. It doesn't matter what you call it. If you look into this stuff and research this stuff, you're going to find all different types of words describing the same thing. So I took that information and I did some detective work. I contacted my uncle. I emailed him and I said, basically, "Hey, uh, I kind of remember being in your room, uh, blah blah blah, um, but I don't know what. Ha- that's all I remember. Could you fill in the blanks?" And he emailed back. Uh, first, let me say something about my uncle. Uh, he's a very intelligent guy, but he's also there. He's a bit off. Like um, I heard, he had a brain tumor when he was younger he's not altogether there and I'm not making, I mean, I'm honestly saying, I don't think he had any idea what was going on. I really don't. Uh, I'm not, um, well, whatever. I just wanted to make that. And it's not like I'm saying that simply to defend him. Uh, I'm just saying, I don't think, I think he was completely oblivious. That's kind of his nature. He's a very uh, interesting guy. He's not really all there. So, I email him and I say, uh, you know, you know what's going on? And he, he does have a very good memory. He always has. And he's a smart guy, like I said. So he replied pretty quickly. And this was his reply. His reply was like, oh, yes, I remember. This was 1975, and this is when I graduated. And the whole family came up to watch me graduate. And the first day there in the commissary, Father so-and-so said, oh, hello, what's your name? And introduced me and met me and everything like that and invited you to spend the night in the Jesuit house. And your parents said, sure. So as the family spent the night in the hotels outside of the Jesuit house, I alone stayed in my uncle's room for the night because I was invited in by the nice priests, the nice elderly Jesuit priests. And then he goes on to say, and then you slept walk out of the room and you were gone for a few hours and then you were returned by father so-and-so. So that was very interesting, wouldn't you agree? As a detective, trying to piece it together, to hear that, slept walk. And yes, to be, to be fair, around that time in my life, I was known for sleepwalking. When I was at home, um, I, I would sleepwalk. That was a thing I would do. That's a whole other subject that I find to be interesting as a result of this thing. So I then email Father So-and-so. I honestly can't remember his name now. This was, ni- this was 2006 when I was doing this detective work. and um, But at the time, he was like the head of Canisius College or some, some Jesuit school. I'm not sure if it was Canisius. That's just the only Jesuit school I can think of right now. And so I was able to find him. I Googled his name, and I, I was like, oh, he's a big shot now. So I emailed him and I basically told him what I just told you. know I just told him, hey, I, I'm i just trying to piece this memory together. And I talked to my uncle and he said this. And he said that I slept while I got out of the room. He said, you returned me to the room. Could you help fill in the blanks? What, what did you, you know? And I didn't hear from him for like, I would say like over a month, maybe even longer. I, I didn't hear back. And then all of a sudden I got an email back from him. And it was like one sentence. It, it was simply... You know, like that was thirty years ago. Good luck, and that was it. So, isn't that interesting information? I thought so. So now I have more information. So now I'm meditating. I'm continuing my meditation, asking questions, and the new question now is, well, what happened? What happened when I, when I was taken out of that room? And I got a flash. And the flash was a dream that I had when I was a kid or what I thought was a dream. Uh, when I was, after this experience, after I was five years old, after I came back from Toronto, for several years after, I was, hmm, what's the word? Haunted? by a dream that I had, by a so-called dream I had. And I remember talking to my best friends about it. I remember talking to my young friends about, Oh, it was the weirdest dream I ever had because it seemed so real. And I wouldn't tell them about the dream. I would just say, um, I would just keep saying, man, and I had this dream and it was just so real. But I'll tell you the dream right now. This is what I remembered. Because this isn't, here's the funny thing about this. This isn't a a thing that I I forgot about. It wasn't like a missing memory. it, It was, in a sense, a missing memory because it wasn't until, it was 30 years later where I like pieced it together and I was like, wait a second, that wasn't a dream. That really happened. But it was remembered, crystal clear remembered, I just remembered it as a quote-unquote dream. <clears throat> so this is what the dream slash memory was. I was in a dark, dank room, which I would describe as a basement. It always felt like a basement. I know what basements are. Basements are dank, kind of moist, cold. It was dark. You could not see how big the room was because it was so dark black i was surrounded it was like a imagine pavilion seating like in a um i've seen movies where they have like surgery rooms where there's like a surgery table in the center and then there's like a pavilion seating around you where you know people can observe look down and observe similar to that Everyone's wearing robes. Everyone's wearing black robes. You can't see their faces. You can't see anything. I'm in. I'm down by the altar, like a table with a body on it. There's a female body. She looks young. I mean, not my, not my, you know, like a woman, not a child, but a woman. She's naked. Uh, she has a black blanket over her up to her shoulders. I know she's naked because you can see like the top of her breasts. Um, her, her nipples are covered, but you can see the top of her breasts. You can tell there's a naked woman on a, on a, on a table. It looked like a stone table, to be honest, if I can remember correctly. If you haven't guessed already, this is kind of a weird story. <laughs> um, and then there is a adult next to me also wearing a black robe. They're all wearing the same dark robes. You can't see their faces. And the person next to me says, tells me that we are all gods and we would like to make you a god. And in order to become a god, you need to help this woman. And this, this woman, she needs your help. And, he, and in order to help her, you need to stick this knife inside of her. And he puts a knife in my hand, in my little five-year-old hand. He places a blade the handle of a blade and instructs me to stick it inside of this woman. And I I don't want to do it. (laughs) And uh, it's, uh, but at the same time, I'm five years old and I'm thinking, oh gosh, I don't want to, I don't want to disappoint these nice gods. (laughs) So I kind of fake, if you can picture a five-year-old, sort of shyly pretending to do this thing. And, um, and immediately the entire room, the tone of the room immediately changes into an extremely negative disappointment, shame. Like the weight of the room became extremely heavy as if everyone was, was full of disgust and anger at me. As if I wasted all their valuable time, as if they're hey we 're trying to help you, and look you're you're just a loser, because i didn't do it, and that was the end of that memory that was the end of the dream, and then I guess somewhere after that, I was returned to my room, pretty pretty weird, right, and it uh explained everything because what i didn 't mention. About my childhood, I think I jumped right into sex and drugs, which was, you know, 12, 13, 14. 12 was when I started the drugs. 15 was when I got into the sex. But before that, like basically right after this incident, I um, took up drawing. Drawing was my first art skill that I got into. I got pretty good at it. I actually won a contest for my whole family to go away for a weekend. But all my drawings were extremely violent. I actually kept them for a while. I wish I still had them. I don't keep anything. I don't have photographs. I don't have, I've always been very um, averse to keeping memories of the past. So I really don't have anything. But uh, my parents kept them for a while. I think what it was, was at some age, my parents gave me, they are like, "Here, we're not going to hold on to this stuff anymore. You can have it. And then once they gave it to me, I just basically took it all to a dumpster and threw it away. <laughs> but that's what I would draw. I would draw people getting their heads chopped off and hacked up with knives and all kinds of super gory pictures. And uh, even the drawing I did that won the art contest. It was a school art contest. And the, the thing was to be to draw a, um, like a life lesson. And so I drew a guy skipping down the road, feeling all happy, walking alongside a big stone wall. And then out of nowhere, the stone wall breaks apart and falls on top of him and crushes him into a bunch of pieces and kills him. And the moral of the story is, watch where you're going. (laughs) And uh, it won a weekend getaway. And it was fun. Like, my parents were, you know, lovey-dovey. My parents love each other. So I remember that weekend. I remember my parents having a great time you know cuz they didn't get you know they're hard working you know not rich at all like working hard to raise 3 kids so uh that seemed like they really enjoyed having a nice weekend off all paid for by you know an art contest thing so it was fun but you know that 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 certainly explains the obsession with violent drawing it certainly explains the sex and the drugs at a young age. I'm very fortunate that I went that way. Cause when you, and I'm very fortunate that that's where it left off. (laughs) Because a lot of people, I would describe this as satanic ritual abuse, SRA. That's how I would describe this incident. And, as far as that goes, I got off pretty lucky. Like no one got hurt. And when you hear about other people's experiences with this, it's pretty horrific for whatever reason I got off easy. I actually was an altar boy after this. I was not only was I an altar boy, I was an altar boy amongst pedophiles. And I know this because in the nineties, when, when the, um, I don't know what it was called. Spotlight. There was a movie called. You know, you know what I'm talking about. When all the when the news broke about all the the crimes of the Catholic Church came out, three of the priests named were priests that I was an altar boy under. And I, um, I actually did go in and explore in my meditation to see if maybe there was something there, but I honestly don't believe there was. I, I have very. I remember every minute of being an altar boy, and I can tell you why I wasn't. Is I was a, I was a mischievous. I, I think they were scared of me. I was, I was gaming them. They weren't gaming me. I do remember seeing other altar boys sitting on their laps at times, and I remember seeing that and thinking, like, what a disgusting animal. I mean, I hated the priests, um, and I was busy stealing from them. I, I, was, I was gaming them hard. I had my eyes on them all the time, and every time they turned their back, I was stealing their stuff. I was breaking their stuff. I was at war with them. So like I said, I was lucky. I, um, I didn't know why I was so mad at him. Now I do because I did the shadow work. It makes sense to me now. I was at war with the priests. The only reason I was an altar boy was because I wanted to infiltrate and destroy. I, I volunteered to manage the collection basket on Sunday Mass because I would rob them blind. And I would take that money, and I would just give it to my friends, and blow it on video games. And I would burn it. I would um, steal things. Like I said, I was I was on a mission. So, like I said, I got off lucky because a lot of people that have suffered this kind of past have uh, really had experienced. I mean, I mean, I'm telling you, like the. The guys that were sitting on their lap that I saw—I mean, I mean—I don't even want to—I don't even want to think about it. So, what happened to me? For a lot of you, it might be obvious. For me, it wasn't. Even though I remembered all that and I put it together, I—for I, years after—I was still haunted by it. Because now I was like haunted by the, like, what was it? What were they doing? And that really kind of got me on the path I'm on now. Researching SRA, researching conspiracy theories, researching the Jesuits, researching Satanism. Because I wanted answers. And now it seems clear to me what they were doing. They were auditioning me. They wanted to see if I had the psycho gene. They wanted to see if I had a complete lack of empathy. Because um, we know that psychopathy is, is innate in some people's brains. Some people, uh, I mean, according to science, I don't know if this is true, but according to science, they say claim some people are born with a lack of a complete lack of empathy. And according to David Icke's work, this gets a little strange, but on my road of curiosity, trying to figure out what happened to me when I was a kid uh, I found a lot of interesting information from David Ike because he says that they target blonde-haired, blue-eyed kids, mostly boys. Blonde-haired, blue-eyed, blonde-haired, blue-eyed boys are their main target, and that was me. I mean, especially when I was five. When I was five, if you saw pictures of me, I was a what they call a toehead. you know. I was blonde as blonde can be, blue-eyed. He says they do that because that shows proof of a genetic quality that they're looking for. So it could be as simple as I happened to be there. They saw the blonde-haired, blue-eyed kid, and they're like, hey, let's give this guy a go. As crazy as that sounds. Or maybe there's a family background I have that they're aware of. I mean, they knew... They must have known somewhat about my family. They, they knew I was there for my uncle. These are the Jesuits. I would imagine they do their homework. I mean, what's my family background? I'm, I got Irish, Welsh, and Bohemian. I don't know. Does that mean anything? I don't know. But that's what I would say they did. Is they were trying to see if I had that psycho gene, and thank God I didn't. I had empathy. I did not want to hurt that woman, and I and I didn't even want to hurt the feelings of these people that wanted me to. You know, so I like you know, like I said, I was like faking it, trying to like, say, you know, please everyone. <laughs> so, anyways, that's it. I know that's a really kind of a weird thing for some people to hear. For some of you, it might not be that weird. What I found in life is when I share this, um, I, I I wrote it in my book, and I mentioned it on the Eddie Bravo interview I did with him. Um, when I first started talking about it publicly, I was a little reluctant because it's weird. But I'm at a point now where I really don't. I honestly don't care what anyone thinks about me. I could care less if anyone likes me or whatever. I'm really in it now for spiritual points. I'm trying to be the best person I can be I'm getting older in life you know sure if God has it in my sights to have a family of my own I can still do that and I would uh, love to love is the greatest thing I think a human could uh, pursue in this life but that being said I'm just trying to um, live these days being as good of a person as I can you know So, I don't care what people think about about me anymore, you know. But that's what I went through. Those of you who follow my work, that probably fills in some blanks to you as to why I do what I do, um, why I'm passionate about what I do, why I um, feel so strongly about... uh, seeing the end of all this evil because, I mean, look, if you really think about it, like I said, what happened to me was not that big of a deal. And yet it caused me over 20 years of misery. I mean, like I said, I mean, I want I mean, look, I, like I said, I enjoyed my life even through the dark days. But if it didn't happen to me, I would have been a different person. If it didn't happen to me, I probably would have um avoided all that self-destruction. So it that that one event of and I would even say for me it was just confusion. Yeah, it's weird and dark, but it really no one got hurt. I mean, I guess I got my mind got hurt. But um but outside of that, no one got hurt. And yet it propelled me on this downward spiral. So I see anyone who harms a child in any way as being a monster. And I see my life's purpose as fighting these monsters and if I, could, if I could get through my life and successfully um, help to, you know, rid the world of just one monster even, or, you know, you know what I'm saying, then thank God for that. So, you know, that's it, folks. <laughs> that's the story. But um, to wrap it up, after writing my book, actually, is when I found peace. Because that was that was 2006. I went on for several years of struggle after that. Still being haunted by my... Uh, 10 more years. 10 years after putting that all together, doing that shadow work, it took me another 10 years to be at peace. Because for 10 years after I did that shadow work, I was still haunted by it. I still thought there was something wrong with me. I still... It was all like, "Why me?" And what was that all about? And blah blah blah. There wasn't the self love. It wasn't until, and I did everything. I went to, you know, I, that's where, That's what I, I went on a journey. I, I studied different, um, whatever you want to call them, spiritual modalities: uh, Tibetan Buddhism, uh, yoga, uh, all kinds of things, Gnosticism. All the time, I'm doing it with, with Christ in my heart, because that's how I was raised. I grew up, I was born in this world with um, God, and not just God, but uh, Christ. Thank God. If not for that, I think I... If not for that, I might have turned out quite a bit differently. So I was anchored through all of it, but still, it was uh, very daunting. And you know what finally did it? Or I don't know if this is what did it, but when I finished writing my book... And what I mean by finished writing it I mean writing it 12 times <laughs> because I didn't have an editor I was a, you know a, a poor starving artist at the time and um so I editors are expensive and I didn't want to write a crap book so I had to just keep rewriting it and rewriting it and rewriting it after a dozen rewrites I was satisfied and I was also completely burned out you know like My past, all of a sudden, was a book. It's almost like I was able to put my entire past into an external book. And once I accomplished that, I was then able to let go of it and not be haunted by it. In fact, I was done with it. I was like, enough. It's boring now. And ever since then, I've been able to be present and focus on the here and now thank god so that's the shadow work and the the outcome of the shadow work is now that i now i'm present now i'm not an insane person anymore i'm not mentally disturbed anymore i am i'm vigilant and focused not perfect i still have plenty of work to do every day Is an opportunity to be a little bit better than I was yesterday. But I can do that now. I can focus on today. That's the whole point. And not be caught up in my head about, oh, what happened to me? And I would argue that um, I think I wouldn't be surprised if this is work that everyone has to do on their own level to some degree. Maybe not. Maybe some people are born innocent and remain innocent. But most of us, I think, lose our innocence, and a lot of us lose it in trauma. And when we do, we kind of get a little broken up. I think that's part of life. It it is for me. Like, I don't have any regrets. Like, for me, the entire process has been part of my life. If I didn't go through all this, I I wouldn't have this podcast. I wouldn't have the work I have. And let me tell you something. The work I have been doing in the past five years has been the most meaningful part of my entire life. I would trade nothing for it. I have no regrets. I believe everything that happened to me happened for a reason, and I am completely at peace. Not only am I at peace for it, but I thank God. God knows what's best for me. And that's that. But these people that are burning down cities, that are being radicalized into... Not just radical left groups, but I don't know if you're paying attention, but the right are being radicalized right now too. The people that are falling for this stuff are people that have not integrated their shadow. These are people that are also lost. These are people that are also unable to see themselves clearly. And the thing is, is when you're like that, you don't know it. And so all you're doing is you're, you're finding external problems. That's where the whole blame thing comes in. This is a natural part of the human condition. And this is what the Satanists are relying on. And that's why everything in modern pop culture, in, mod- in, in the education system, I would even argue in religion, is all designed to keep that ego ignorant, to keep that, well, to keep that ego in charge and to keep your higher self suffocated in a little prison cell that you never even see it or feel it. That's the game. And they're they are just, they didn't make it up. They're just taking advantage of this natural thing. And in that sense, I, I don't see how this isn't God's work. Like, I'm not forgiving the monsters. The monsters need to be dealt with. I'm just saying everything is God, including the monsters the monsters are teaching us a lesson. The lesson is to find the courage and first slay the dragon within you. And once you're done with that, then maybe you can go out there and actually deal with these monsters. So that's that. That's my story. Now, um, I actually have a note here I wrote down Anarchy, and I think that's from Kelzilla's comment. And so w- why I wrote that down is because I always thought that was a <clears throat> I never understood that word when I was growing up. I always associated it with like punk rock bands and stuff because when I was growing up that's how I knew it. I knew it from like musicians. When I grew up all all musicians are basically anarchists or liberals for the most part. Um or they're they or they're nothing, or they don't label themselves as anything, you know, whatever. At least where I where, I'm, where I grew up. Madison Wisconsin there's quite a lot of satanists actually in the music scene. But that's neither here nor there. So um but recently I'm finding out the or, or at least according to Mark Passio what anarchy is and I like it. And what he's saying is that anarchy is no master no slave meaning freedom meaning that the that true anarchy exists when Humans, When the majority of humans have enough morality, Christ consciousness, Christ love, to where we don't tread on our neighbor, that we no longer need government. That government is a result of -of out-of-control egos. And so the path to true anarchy and true freedom is the shadow work to overcome your ego. Now, having said that, that sounds almost as utopian as an idea uh, as, um, you know, libertarians. (laughs) Just joking. But, um, and maybe it is, but that's where I'm at. I think, I'm starting to think that the idea of fighting for the left or fighting for the right is completely selfish because all you're doing is you're fighting for control of the prison. You've given up and you said, well, whatever, we're not going to do anything. Nothing's going to change. So at least maybe we can be in charge. At least maybe we can force our ideas on everyone. At least maybe we can become best friends with the prison guards and we can get some scraps off the table and I think that's lame. I can put it another way. I think it's also thinking, I want my life to be better. So I don't care about uh, any grand idea. I just want my life to be better now. I think that's also very selfish. The proper way I think, the way I'm thinking of anarchy now is, I don't see it, I definitely don't see this as being a possibility in my lifetime. The, what I, of what I'm describing of of a world where we don't need government because we've evolved to become moral beings. Do I believe it's possible in our lifetime? Maybe. I believe anything's possible. Likely, no. But it's still something to strive for because we'll get there eventually. If if enough people start doing this work, if enough people focus on healing and, as Carl Jung says, integrating themselves with their shadow then we will get there. And that is selfless because that's not working for our own life. That's working for our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren and stuff like that. And you just do your best and it's one person at a time waking up, finding peace, illuminating themselves, shining a light in the darkness. Love. That's where it's at in my book. And, um, that's that. I wish you guys well. I hope, uh, all of you guys find peace and love in your life. And if you have peace and love in your life, I hope you find more and more and more and more of it. Cause that's where it's at folks. It really is. All right. Thanks for listening. I hope that wasn't too weird. And if it was, don't worry about it. I'm all good. I love you. And, uh, What you can do with that energy is focus those prayers out for people that are suffering right now in a bad way. Because like I said, there are people out there that are suffering from these monsters in a really bad way. And uh, that has to end someday, I think. I used to think, ah, that's just the way it is. And to a certain degree, that's true for today. But it doesn't have to always be like this. We can spiritually evolve. We are spiritually evolving. It's just a process. All right, guys. I love you. See you next week.